Hey guys, my name is Alex, and you're listening to the Thousand Movie Project Podcast. It's a Thursday night at the end of August. I stopped at Bob and Linda's to help with the chore after work, but now now I'm at a bar on Brickell Avenue called American Social. It's a couple nights before Hurricane Dorian is set to hit Miami as a Category 4 hurricane, and as I sit down at the bar with my notebook and my Kindle at 9pm, prepared to be a fucking nerd for two hours, it's baffling and heartening and saddening and amusing to see that the bar is so incredibly busy. The women are half-dressed with their hair flared out and gorgeous, and the men all freshly showered with their hair done up in gel, their earrings all in place. You'd never think there was a potentially life-altering storm on the way. And maybe that's because it's a metropolitan area. Everybody at this bar is probably not a homeowner, but a renter in some nearby building. If the storm hits and it's a monster, they'll probably just have to deal with an absence of electricity, flooded streets, boredom, inconvenience. All the peripheral chatter you hear on the sidewalk and traffic is about the storm. Every bit of banter from a radio DJ is about the storm. People are posting updates about it on Instagram. They're getting texts from friends in different countries and states that are all telling them different things about how strong the storm is and where it's going and whose forecast is more reliable. At this bar right here, right now, however, the TVs are only showing football. The conversation on my left is about somebody's drama at the office, and the conversation to my right is about someone's recent trip to Tampa. Near the end of my first beer, I pick up my phone and look at headlines about the storm. The New York Post says that Hurricane Dorian might be hitting Florida as a Category 5. The president is vocal about expecting total annihilation. There's panic in the headlines and all over the airwaves. The forecast? Doom. Everyone is projecting endless rain and shattered houses and corpses bobbing face down along the street in little rivers of rain. But that's on the internet. At American Social, three nights from Dorian's landfall, Miamians are watching football. They're drinking and talking. They're inching closer to each other on bar stools, on couches. You get a vibe in the air like Miami's going to be having a little more sex tonight than usual. Are you going to get the Regal All Access? The Regal All Access? I think no. that one is like a movie a day. There's no Regals like yeah. close to here. I'm not going to go to Kendall. Yeah. Fuck that scene. I'm going to be like stuck with a bunch of fucking goth kids oh. while like watching movies. <laughs> I was just a year old when Hurricane Andrew hit Miami in August of 1922. <laughs> Scrap that. I was <laughs> I was just a year old when Hurricane Andrew hit Miami in August of 1992. And so my peers and I grew up hearing about the storm probably like kids of the 50s grew up hearing about the war. But the old Andrew veterans tend to mention whenever some moderately powerful storm is on the way here, maybe, you know, a category three or a strong category two, something around there. What they say is that Andrew was a cat three right up until just about the moment of landfall. And then suddenly, inexplicably, it was a category five. 
the worst of the worst. It leveled the city. There's a famous photo of the flamingos at Metro Zoo, all sitting in a nervous huddle in the men's room. Price gouging was apparently rampant, and it's still something that local law enforcement and city officials address with deadly seriousness in the hours before a storm hits our shores. If there's a consensus about hurricanes when it comes to the survivors of Hurricane Andrew, it's this. You never can tell. The new uh, Twilight Zone is so political. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about it. I think it's so forced. I just want to see... I want to see more Black Mirror kind of shit. I want scarier shit. Like creepier, dense shit. I want real shit, man. I don't want to know fucking ice political thing. Some scary shit, man. Like, really, like... Challenge me, man. I want some intellectual shit. This is pretty cerebral. No! <clears throat> this is about Castle Cortez's fall from grace. On the Friday before the storm is supposed to hit us, I woke up at 5 a.m. to the loudest electrical storm I've ever heard at this apartment. Absolutely explosive. The blinds are drawn, but still the whole room pulses with blue light. It sounds like some furious cosmic thing is just punching the earth right outside my window. The thunder is more of a boom than a crack, and car alarms are going off all up and down the street, and all through the parking lots of the three car dealerships surrounding our apartment. One of my colleagues at the college is married to a mortician, and earlier this week, she told him she was embalming somebody who'd been killed by lightning. I said, I've always thought that it would be a particularly awful mess after somebody gets struck by lightning. My colleague nodded. He said that his wife usually doesn't mention them unless they are a particularly awful mess. If one of the Avengers was gay, which one would it be? <clears throat> uh, um, <laughs> the Vision. <laughs> It's the Sunday before landfall, and after a long day of riding, my focus starts to falter. And at 5 o'clock, I leave Pasión del Cielo for the bar next door. It's called the Big Easy. I'm sitting on a sofa with a magazine and a beer when an older guy comes up to me, and he seems to be the spokesman for a big group of people. He comes up and he touches my shoulder, and he asks me how long I plan to stay sitting here on the sofa. I tell him another 15 minutes or so, why? And he explains that his big group was looking to take over the general sofa armchair area. I say, okay, that's fine, and I get up and I tell him to go for it. He says, are you sure? I said, yeah, yeah, it's fine, I don't mind the bar. I take the only remaining stool at the bar, and it happens to be right beside a woman whose name is W. Miss W is in her early 30s. She's got long brown hair, and she's wearing a sleeveless black dress. She looks professional. She looks refined. Before I've even sat all the way down, she's talking to me. She says, did you just get ousted from the sofa? And I tell her that I did, and smile, and say that the guy was pretty gentle about it. I settle down on the stool and she asks me where I'm from, what I do, just the general questions. Now, I had an experience a while ago with a woman that I met at a bar. I gave her my number and she started texting me twice a day for two weeks. Uh, it was either with sober flirtatious invites to get a drink or drunk late night aggressive vulgar invitations to something else. 
So I've stayed pretty discreet now when talking to strangers at bars. I try not to give much information. Uh, I steer the conversation toward ideas and current events rather than anything to do with me personally. So she's asking me questions and I close my magazine and I ask Miss W about her situation. She tells me that she just moved into her Edgewater apartment yesterday and that her roommate is a 23-year-old real estate agent who's currently getting her AA at Miami-Dade College. She cocks her lip in a wizened way, raises an incisive finger, and says, I don't trust her though. Before moving into this new apartment, down from Tampa, Miss W was in talks with some other prospective roommate, another woman in her early 20s. She asked that other 20-something, uh, what do you do? The 20-something told her that she was a freelancer. Miss W says, well, what do you freelance in? I, Miss W, you ask so many questions. Tell me about yourself. Miss W does a cringingly loud impression of this woman at the bar. And once her impersonation is over, Miss W leans back, satisfied, and she raises that wizened finger again, and she gives me a knowing squint and says, I think she was a prostitute, which is fine, by the way, no judgment. I mean, you do what you gotta do. Miss W goes on to give me a lecture about the consummate fineness and forgivability of sex work, and then immediately afterward, without transition, she tells me that 9-11 was an inside job. I blink kind of hard at this, and she smiles, and she says, what, you don't think so? I figure this is going to be a sore spot, so I just shrug about it. Miss W shrugs back and lifts her wine. I don't know, she says. It's just what I heard. I start drinking faster. I start trying to wind the conversation down with lots of deep nods and sighs. Miss W keeps telling me things about her early impressions of Miami, and I keep telling her, well, finally, the beer is done. I'm about to ask for the check and make my escape when the guy from earlier, the spokesman for that big group that ousted me from the sofa, he comes loping up to the bar when he sees me reaching the bottom dregs of my beer, and he claps me on the shoulder like an uncle, and he flags the bartender for me, whereupon a freshly poured beer is set down on the bar, courtesy of the sofa party. The man from the sofa, the buyer of my new beer, claps me again on the shoulder and gives me a smile and a curt little nod, and he glances at Miss W to my left, with whom I must appear to be flirting, and then he backs away toward the sofa, gives me a little suggestive smile. For the first time in my life, I'm measuring a beer in minutes. Miss W to my left goes on talking about the very forgivable shortcomings of Cubans, whom she assures me are not all bad. When I ask for the check, while she's still only halfway through her wine, Miss W falls quiet and looks hurt. I feel really bad about this now. I leave the Big Easy, and I check my phone while walking down the street toward Red Bar. It's starting to look like the storm is going to hit the Bahamas. Nobody- people need to, like- Nobody gives a fuck about me. <laughs> On network TV. They're not making shit for me anymore. Oh. What were they? Um... When they were making, like, Avengers Endgame. What is your demographic? What is the demographic that they have forgotten and alienated Blast? Straight Cuban men. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna start off tonight's swing with you can't be mine and somebody else's too. I'm 
I'm sitting at Red Bar with an IPA, watching the latest hurricane advisory from the mayor of, what is this, Palm Beach? The mayor's on mute and he's looking pretty stoic, so I focus instead on the American Sign Language interpreter who's standing right beside him, and I notice that she's complimenting her interpretive gestures with facial expressions. Very dramatic facial expressions. Is this just how she does her job personally? Do they all make such expressions? Does it make for a more immersive experience for deaf and hard of hearing viewers if the signs are inflected with all these like hijinks in the translator's eyebrows? The mayor's demeanor is so cautioning and disciplined and flat, he's clearly trying very hard to appear emotionless and calming. Meanwhile, the sign language translator's expressions and pinwheeling elbows suggest an apocalypse. To what extent is this interpreter responsible for the calm or the panic with which the mayor's message is received by the hard-of-hearing demographic? I start to wonder if deaf people in Miami-Dade County aren't way more freaked out about this storm than everyone else. I'm about two beers deep at Red Bar on this Sunday before the storm, and I'm talking at the bar with George, another regular. George is African-American, early 40s, and he's telling me about his weekend. Talks about going with his family to a quote-unquote white party. I hold up a hand and kind of interrupt. I say a white, like, like a party with white people? He looks puzzled for a second and then shakes his head and he says, no, man, just everybody wears white. You call it a white party. Is it something fancy? No, he says, then corrects himself. I mean, yeah, it's fa I mean, it's not formal, but is it religious? He rubs a hand down his face and then grabs my shoulder sympathetically with the other. Alex, it's just something black people do. White parties, you wear white. Black parties, you wear black. It's not, it, it doesn't mean anything. I shrug. The conversation goes on. On the TV above us, the sign language interpreter makes what is almost certainly a stabbing gesture. I called you mine. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a full moon tonight. The hurricane that hit Florida didn't turn out as badly as they expected. It's been pretty hot in the east, but the temperature's been below normal in all the western states. They've had some thunderstorms around the Great Lakes. Profound and disturbing saying. Can I give one of those? Is that all right with yeah, everybody? Sure. Profound and disturbing saying. With all the multiplicity of knowledge, there is just one thing, happily, that no man knows. Whether the world is old or young. Till next week then, speaking for Lady Esther and for everybody in the Mercury Theater, I remain as always, obediently yours. A few days pass and the forecast starts leaning more and more to... 
A few days pass, and the forecast starts leaning more and more in Miami's favor until, eventually, it's very clear, by Monday night, that the storm is going to miss us. The city breathes a sigh of relief. But on the day that Dorian was supposed to make landfall, when we were all supposed to be waking up to the sounds of thunder and wind, I wake instead to the sound of my dog, Mango. He's gasping. An hour later, at an emergency animal hospital in North Miami, Mango dies. A eulogy for Mango. My friend Mango died this morning. He was 17. One of those handful of people where you've known them longer than you've known yourself. He peed about 30 times a day, and that's the way to do it. He had lots of phlegm, always. He licked people's mosquito bites, but never their faces. He'd wake me up at 7.30 every morning by breathing his sewer breath on my face or putting a paw in my mouth. He hated pigeons so fucking much, but with age, he mellowed and just started looking at them until eventually not even that. He never bit a person or dog in his life. Perfectly zen. He came here from France in 1912 without a penny to his name, and he never complained about anything with more than a sigh. I think he was even courteous about teething, back when he was a puppy, chewed on shit that nobody needed anyway. He had sex three times with his companion, Lady, until my mom kept finding them stuck together and was like, okay, enough of this. And then, after being neutered, Mango was basically just as mellow as before. Mango was basically just as mellow as before. He was the kind of friend you would invite to something that involves lots of waiting. He was curious, but not that curious. It was neat to be so bookish and to know and love and celebrate all these words, 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 and then come home to someone who knows like four words. Somebody who's known you long enough to know you better than most other people, except he knows you intuitively, wordlessly, and with all that endless affection and patience and thanks. An affection that, with age, you naturally become kind of self-critical about. You, you start noticing that you do this thing wrong and that thing wrong. You've got all these shortcomings and you think, hey, maybe you don't deserve lots of affection, like just in general. It's, it's a usual feeling. And um, you just think that you're irredeemably flawed. And if you give voice to that doubt, to your friends or relatives, whatever, people will come at you with words of reassurance, words, words, words. But there's not a word of reassurance or of love so resonant and assuring as that waft of sewer breath every morning, 7.30. Same as yesterday, and same as tomorrow. And if tomorrow that sewer breath isn't there to greet you, I guess you just have to remind yourself that it would have been. Because what else? Because what else in your life has ever been so constant? another episode of thousand movie project podcast this is the ending kind of denouement thing where i just riff for a bit i'm i, I normally I, I like i close the blind because my desk faces the window so i close the blinds and i just and i like tilt my head down and just kind of stare at the wall and riff about whatever is going on but now i'm tr trying to mix it up so i've got the blinds open and i'm looking at the roof of the building next door and then sort of the brickle avenue skyline and yeah it's doing doing nothing for me imaginatively but um as for things that are going on, um, I, um, 
was seeing somebody for a while, and she came up a lot in the blog, if you've been reading it, and we um, stopped seeing each other. We had, we had, you know, like a third big fight. Um, I forget what it was at the moment. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. We had... Um, we had we had a, a big f- argument about something, and um, it was just it was happening a little too often. And we get along really well, and um, there was a lot of chemistry. So it's upsetting, but um, you know it didn't work out. So it didn't work out. And um, other th- other um, dating life thing. I, I went on a date two nights ago, and um, it didn't go well, or like it well, it did not end well. It it was going really like as it was unfolding, it was d- delightful. We went to the Mighty on Cor- on uh, Coral Way, which is a very d- someone described it to me as a speakeasy. I didn't know that that word is still invoked, um, but it's like you know dark wood, it's lamp lighting and shit. The downside of the Mighty is that it's a bar that people go to to get fucked up, and it's nice in, in the sense that it's it's every time I've gone, it seems to be peopled entirely by other people who appear to be my exact age and it's always pretty crowded but so we, we were there and um in the beginning it was really hard to talk first of all because um i don't know i ugh, i i have i i went on a date with this person several months ago and then they went to belize for a month and um it didn't and just sort of fell out of touch and um so I don't know. There was a feeling. Uh, it, it was it was fraught with this thing of like, oh, I should have gotten in touch sooner. There was a, there was a little bit of tension, but um, yeah. The, and there were these really trashed people um, behind us, and a, a woman with the with the with the craziest laugh I've ever heard. who was really really loud, and they were playing pool. So it was hard. It was that first like thirty minutes was really hard to get through trying to muster conversation while sober and looking at somebody that I feel like I've wronged because I didn't sort of follow through with a second date earlier. Um, and, but yeah, a- after that, once we, we, we had moved to a different quieter corner, um, and loose and had, had a couple drinks, everything was fine and, um, and very, very nice. And we got along really well. She came back and, um, back to my apartment and we were watching drunk history. And, um, I, <laughs> this is, I, bah. and, um, I made an advance, which was well received, but then, um, I, arbitrarily hit the brakes on that advance which was not well received and uh so it wasn't it wasn't an acrimonious like ending to the night but it wasn't an amorous one i mean we we have we've spoken since then and sort of the air has been cleared but um it was and then i was in the wrong it's it's a complicated thing that i shouldn't get into um you know it's it's weird i do still grapple with this thing of like how ready am i to just totally immolate my social life uh, so that i can have you know interesting content on either the podcast or the blog uh i still haven't really made up my mind about that i I've for a long time been under the impression that you know i, I yeah i will sort of flagrantly steal shit from my life and other people's lives and and talk about it on the podcast obviously within certain ethical parameters but um and and but the impression that i've had is like the people who are bothered by that will sort of fall by the wayside they'll they'll stop hanging out with me and then the people who aren't bothered by that will stick around and so by process of elimination i will ultimately find myself surrounded by people who are cool with it um like obviously i wouldn't disclose super personal anybody's super personal shit it's just things that happen like in my orbit like in in my life but the thing about like sex stuff in particular is that it's never your sex life is is almost never strictly your own um there's another person involved and you can't really talk 
you can't air your dirty laundry without you know they've they've mixed their socks in with yours if you want to follow the the laundry metaphor you can't air yours without airing theirs and 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 they might not want that uh, so I'm not really decided yet on the extent to which I want to like reveal things and also I think like the cloud of my parents finding shit out still bothers me at 28 which is ridiculous and I feel like I should probably just burn that bridge real fast not burn the bridge of like you know familial connection but just um say something I don't know reveal things that you know <laughs> like this is me mom but aside from dating stuff, I went to the movies twice this week. I went on Monday to, to catch the first of a three-night um, event at um, theaters around the country. They were showing the, third the new third installment of Rob Zombie's Firefly trilogy, which I've been talking about um, a couple times on the podcast so far. It's called Three from Hell. Uh, it's, it's the direct sequel to Devil's Rejects, which I was obsessed with when I was in high school. And the movie was um, a really good time. I've been seeing a lot of really mixed reviews, but I had a terrific time. And I don't know, you know, uh, the two times that I went to the movies this week, on Monday I went to see, uh, on Monday night I went to see Three from Hell, on Thursday night I went to see Rambo 5. I went with the same friend, a colleague, and uh, we got drinks beforehand, and it, it was just such an experience. Like, going to see Three from Hell as a Fathom event uh, was so terrific because the only people who were in the theater were people who knew about it and the only people who really knew about it were fans so you go into this theater and it's not very crowded but everyone who's there seriously wants to be there everyone who's there like it's a monday night at seven o'clock like so there were no cell phones or talking or babies crying nothing disruptive at all everybody who was in there was immersed everyone who was in there had a similar sensibility and so the jokes landed correctly people you know kind of cheered at the right things I mean, it's in, in many respects, it's an absolutely repulsive movie, and there was a point in the middle where I was like, why the fuck am I watching this? This is so upsetting. But then somehow, by the third act, Rob Zombie has made his, um, you know, notoriously loathsome characters sympathetic again, and you're rooting for them, I guess because they're going toe-to-toe -to -toe against some, some people who actually know they're not worse, they're just different kinds of monsters. Anyways, it was a good movie, it was a good time, and I guess what I'm getting at is I'm having a hard time differentiating between the movie itself, the quality of the movie itself, and the quality of the experiences I had of going to this same nice, clean, quiet theater with the same good friend. There were just two really terrific theatrical experiences, so maybe I can't totally trust my impressions of the movies themselves. Rambo 5, though, I thought was really delightful. I've been seeing some criticism about, like, racism and um, some sexist shit with which I do see now in retrospect, like all these arguments do make sense. But and, and so I'm kind of remiss to be like, yeah, I loved it. But like in the theater, I was loving it. And I was clapping and laughing out loud. It's it's absurd. Sylvester Stallone brings that 1980s action movie sincerity, that dead eyed seriousness to the most. Well, I mean, 2019 is post postmodern. Nobody takes that shit seriously. But he is so earnest when he says shit like, you will know my vengeance and death is coming. And he's just, he, he's playing it so straight. So there's all that. And then what? You know, uh, yeah, I mentioned in the podcast that Mango died, and I still don't quite know how to talk about it constructively. So, But I, I can say, though, that when the day that, because of occasion by Mango's death, um, my ex reached out and uh, just expressed condolences and we hadn't spoken in a year and that was that was the breakup that i like really 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 fucked me up and that was the worst breakup i've ever been through and um you can read about it on the blog if you go back to like i think october and november of 2018 but so we hadn't spoken in a year almost and she reached out and she happened to be on brickle and i was on brickle so we met up for drinks and then a few nights later we met up for hookah 
And I think in the course of those two nights, we, we'd hung out for like 11 hours, just talking and catching up and um, talking about what's been going on, what's going, what, what is happening at the moment, where we're both trying to go. And um, it was like the, the lingering despair about, and, and all the, like, I would ask, I had, there were a bunch of questions that I had about the relationship and I asked her and she was super receptive and super forthcoming. And, uh, I don't know. I got over it. I, feel, I don't want to say I got over it because it's too soon to tell, but I feel like a, a huge burden was lifted. Um, I, I've always been skeptical of the idea of having, of getting closure from a conversation. I thought, I've always thought closure is kind of a silly idea, but I felt like just being back in touch with her and it, it, I don't know. It, it it's it's clarified where I, it's clarified things about the relationship that now I see that even though she's a wonderful person, the relationship was absolutely untenable, and there was no way it was going to go forward. And as much as I, I still very much like her, I like it, it's it's not it doesn't bend in the in the romantic direction. If that makes sense. now Jesus, that sounds like a phallic thing. God bending your penis. I remember there was a there was a, fuck who was that dude? Who was that character? on mad tv it wasn't stewart it was but i think it was a similarly weird guy played by the same character and he said that he had a 10 inch penis and um he could bend it into shapes i tried watching some mad tv sketches the other day and like they were not funny but i remember my brother and i would record it on on vhs and we would watch the same sketches again and again and again the one i'm talking about in particular was um kenny rogers jackass and the premise is still funny and i remember we would watch it endlessly and we, we watched it so many times that when i saw it again on youtube recently um like as he was beginning a sentence, I, I remembered every word of that sentence, and it just was not funny at all. It was, or I, would not, I shouldn't say it wasn't funny. It was just so clearly targeted toward kids. And yet, I remember watching it as a kid. It seemed very edgy. Um, it has not been a very productive week, though. Like I haven't done almost any writing at all, which is the first time I've gone like a long period without writing. And by long, I mean a few days. Um, I didn't do as much reading as I intended to do. I didn't watch. I watched one movie off the list. I watched Targets from 1967, which is directed by Peter Bogdanovich, and it stars Boris Karloff, and it's eerily prescient because it's it's about, well, it's it's inspired by the mass shooting at, I think, Texas University, where a dude went into a bell tower with, like, tons of rifles, and he killed, I think, 28 people. So that was, that was it was a good movie. It was a very good movie, like, very well made, but it's it was weird. It was uncomfortable to watch. And um, also, but yeah, and then I, I, um, I just edited the, two episodes of the podcast which i'm which were an absolute delight to do and yeah so i guess if i were to give a verdict on like what's my headspace on friday september 20th 2019 i would say i feel guilty about having not been productive this past week i feel a little burned out about romantic things getting back in touch with my ex ending things with l and um now this date that happened a couple nights ago that was both good and bad um i don't even know what to say about the dog situation i'll probably with time i'm sure the you know the language will will open up something i wanted to mention though which i i don't know why i've been i'm going to record a new like a concluding thing for the for the podcast but i wrote a ebook an ebook called um the ballad of felicio knightley and um, I put it up on Amazon. My intention is to is to make sort of a podcast radio drama ish thing out of it. But I, I don't know. Like I I can't sell myself. Like I feel so 
weird going on social media and telling people, hey, buy my book. Buy my. It's, a, it's a dollar, and it's only like 37 pages, but it's, um, yeah, it's there if you want it. If you want to support the podcast in any way, you can um, always buy the ebook. Just oh, fuck it. Anyways, look, I'll talk to you later. Bye. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Thousand Movie Project podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, and to check out our blog posts every day at www.thousandmovieproject.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can always throw some money at Thousand Movie Project on PayPal or Venmo, or you can buy one of our two ebooks, Horny Nuns and The Ballad of Felicio Knightley, which both cost a buck and are both available on Amazon.com. And remember, while you're at it, to have a nice day. I'm gonna go work for Marvel. What would be your big pitch? Um, my pitch would be don't fuck with me. And, and don't you just go to the writer's room and say, hey, don't fuck with me. <laughs> no fucking nerd has ever become president, except for Jimmy Carter. Look how I ended up here. <laughs> Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> yeah, what happened there was pretty Beauty and the Beast, bro.